Good morning. I'm Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Northwest. So thankful for you guys showing up this morning and uh, braving the heat wave that has been ravaging North Carolina. It's terrible out there. Does anyone feel like when they walk outside, they just get punched in the face by the, the thickness of it? Oh my gosh, I hate that. We're going to jump right in, and we're getting into Romans, and I'm really excited about this message. I got to do a volunteer service before uh, this service, and I have 10 minutes to tell them what I can say in 35, and it's really, really difficult, especially on a Sunday like today, when even though we are only going to see two verses uh, this morning out of Romans, it's so meaty, and it's just so deep. So I'm just really excited to be, um, to be bringing God's Word this morning. Words to Live By is our theme. That's kind of the series that we're in right now. These words ring very true for us as we consider how we live. So one of my favorite things to do when I was in college, and even now with some of my more favorite students. Just kidding, I love you all. But when I was in college, one of my favorite things to do was to um, try to figure out ways in public to embarrass my friends. A couple examples. One is uh, when, when I'd be walking with my friends, there'd be a group of girls in front of us. Wherever we were in public, that meant it was game on. And so I would observe what, uh, what color shirts my friends were wearing. And uh, whichever one was the furthest away from the color I was wearing, I would say, hey girls, do you like my red shirt? My friend with the red shirt wouldn't know I was talking about him until all the girls would turn around and look at my friend with the red shirt, and he would look at them and smile and realize that I was talking about him. So that was one of the things that, that was uh, really you know, a joy for me, and I've pulled it on some of our high school kids, so that's fun. And uh, another thing I, I loved doing was uh, when I was driving a car and I had a friend in the passenger seat, and we'd pull up to a stoplight, and there was a car next to us out the passenger window, I would honk the horn like I needed something. And then I would roll down the passenger window, and when they rolled down their window, I would look the other way. So now my passenger and that person are staring awkwardly at each other. That was fun. So I enjoy embarrassing um, my friends. And uh, it's mean, it's mean, I guess, but uh, I just can't wait for my girls to be older because um, that is going to be a joy for me. You know, you, you parents of teenagers know the tone that comes when it's, Mom! We're dead. Like, I'm just, get away. I'm so embarrassed. Uh, but I look forward to that day of embarrassment. Those are obviously very lighthearted examples of, uh, of embarrassing somebody. But I do want to talk this morning in our, in our Words to Live By series, something that has a, a far deeper, of course, and more serious flavor to it. To be ashamed of someone or something by definition means to be reluctant to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. So to be ashamed is to be reluctant to do something through fear of embarrassment or humiliation. I want to show you a video in a moment, and uh, this video is from camp last week. So I'm up at camp last week, and kind of to give you just a brief rundown of how the week works, all the different ages of students have different programs. So junior high has their own program. Uh, rising sixth graders have their own program. Rising freshmen and then the rest of senior high. They all have their own programs going on with their own speakers and their own sessions throughout the week. And then on Friday night, they bring all the programs together for one big night of worship and of teaching. So the sixth graders all the way up through the graduating seniors are all together for, uh, for this one night. And it's really cool because it comes at the tail end of a week where God has just kind of invaded the lives of students uh, where he needs to and uh, where they need him to. And highly emotional, highly spiritual week. And so all of that kind of culminates in this, in this evening of just unhindered and unashamed worship. So I want, you to, um, I want you to look at this, and this image here, or this video here, is really what it was kind of like that last night 
for every single worship song that we sang. So just watch this as a short little video. That's a great song. You can hear them shouting, I ran out of that grave. You know, they're, they're believing it in that moment, that God has done something in my life. He's rescued me from death. He's brought me to life, and I'm going to shout it out, and I am unhindered. I am unashamed. I, I have no reservation in doing this. Now, I know, okay, that that's a camp setting. And typically what happens at a camp set, setting is these spiritual uh, encounters with God, these high kind of moments that we have, tend to kind of fade when real life sets in and they, and they get home. Why? Because there are so many distractions um, that begin to, to kind of turn their attention, turn our attention, I was there once, away from the things of God. And so, but I'm watching this and I'm just praying through, God, I, I, I want you to just, just lay something on my heart that you would have me share when I preach next Sunday. And it just hit me, this verse came to mind, watching these students just unashamedly worship God with their hands up, screaming out, jumping around, and I went, man, that's, that's perfect because in Romans, we're called to that kind of a lifestyle every single day. Now, not running around like David, you know, dancing in the streets like he did and, and singing praises and spinning in circles and people looking at him weird. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about that, that that should be what you do every single day. But that, that attitude of, I don't, there's nothing holding me back. There's nothing getting in my way. I'm completely unashamed for what I believe and what God has done for me that I'm gonna shout it from the rooftops and I want everybody to know it. And so this ver these verses that we're gonna talk about this morning are, are going there. Now I wanna show you one thing uh, real quick before we jump in. And this is not, it goes with the message but it doesn't exactly tie in but I want you to, I wanna share this with you because I think it's pretty awesome and it's a challenge to, to our church. So uh, on the way back, we have our students fill out these cards, had them for the first time, fill out these cards. Um, that passion that you saw, I don't want that to die. I don't want that to fade. And so we're going to do everything in our power to make sure our students can stay just passionate about their pursuit of Christ, however that looks like in their lives. So we had them fill out these cards, and on these cards it asks them just a lot of different questions, but what are some decisions that you made at camp? So we had, we had 59 students go to camp, and 38 of them said that they want help getting into God's word on a daily basis. 32 of them said they wanted help with sharing the gospel with their friends. But the one that gets me super, super excited is this. 47 of them out of the 59 said that they want a mentor or discipleship relationship or an accountability partner to make sure that they stick to their commitments. This doesn't have to do with my message, but I thought it was just too awesome not to share. And the best part of this is that 32 of the 47 put down specific names of people that they want to meet with, which is some of you in our body. So get ready for a phone call um, and a challenge and accountability because our students are calling on you to help them stick with their, um, the decisions they made. 15 of them, that means, didn't have anyone specific. So we've got 15 students that want to meet with somebody, that could benefit meeting with somebody, that don't have anyone specific in mind. So the challenge to you, church, is if you are, um, if that's your heart, 
if God even in this moment is stirring in, in you, the Holy Spirit's working in your heart saying, you know what, be one of those people to those students, then please talk to me um, because I would love for every single one of our students to get the person that they put down on their, on their paper that they say they've connected with or be connected with someone that may, they may not have thought about yet because I want that passion to stay so, so real in, in their lives. So that's kind of a little side, but kind of has to do with it, I guess. I'm engaged in this worship and God lays this, this verse on my heart. So go ahead and, and open to Romans chapter one. We're going to be in verses 16 and 17, so just two verses for this morning, but again, very, very deep um, and uh, very meaty. So Romans 1, 16 and 17, here's what Paul says. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now going back one verse before that, kind of leads into why Paul says, for I am not ashamed. It's kind of a continuation, right? So he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In other words, I'm, I'm eager to preach. Why? Because I am not ashamed and it's the power of God. And so he continues in verses 16 and 17. So he's eager to preach. Paul hasn't actually had a chance yet to, to travel to Rome. He's very, very anxious to get the opportunity to, to get there and to preach the gospel and to have fellowship with these young believers. I want to give you a little history of, of Paul and Rome, uh, just to kind of set the, uh, the context a little bit. So this book of Romans, the, the letter to the Romans, was written in about 57 AD. And before that, here's what had happened in the life of Paul and in this young church in Rome. So in 48 AD, Paul was stoned in Lystra so bad that they thought that he was dead. So he was stoned to a point of near death. In 49 AD, uh, Claudius who was in Rome at the time, expels the Jews from Rome. He kicks them out, um, and, he, and he blames it on the name of Christ. So there's persecution, and they have to leave their homes. And then in 51 AD, Paul is imprisoned for casting out a demon. Shortly after that, he was preaching in Thessalonica, and he had to flee because the threat on his life. And then the year that he writes this letter to the believers in Rome, he's arrested in the temple in Jerusalem. He faces um, scourging, and he is... Uh, he's pardoned because of his Roman citizenship. And then in 54 AD, just three years before this book is written, Claudius is poisoned by his wife, and after his death, the Jews are allowed to re-enter Rome. And so just shortly after this happens, you have to imagine that them being, being kicked out of their homes, the persecution they faced is pretty fresh on their minds. And for Paul even, having gone through what he's gone through already, and he goes through a lot more after this, but what he's already been through, you think about that, and then when he says, he opens with, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So here's a, here's a challenge to you that have been through persecution, those who have been probably tempted with denying their faith, with turning their back on Christ. Is this really worth it to stay pursuing him when this is how it's going to be? Is this really going to be worth it? So he's, look, he's going, look, don't be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've been through it. But there's nothing that, that's going to hold me back from sharing the gospel of Christ with anybody, everybody. So based on the definition presented earlier, you could add to his statement, and you could say, I have absolutely no reservation, I have no reluctance in preaching the gospel, I'm not embarrassed by it, and the humiliation that comes with persecution, bring it on. It's essentially kind of what Paul is saying, but I paraphrase and added to it, of course, by definition. So why isn't Paul reluctant to preach the gospel? Because he knows its power. He knows the power that lies within the truth and the message of the gospel. 
He says, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So in the gospel lies the power of salvation. I want to focus on this word and this idea of salvation for a few minutes. The word salvation, of course, would mean to be saved from something. Paul uses it a lot in his writings, his letters. So what does Paul say that we are saved from if we're talking about salvation? In Ephesians 1, 7, we're saved from the guilt of our sin, it says. In Romans 6, 6, it says that we're saved from the pollution that our sin causes in our, in our bodies. Romans 7, 24, it says that we're saved from the slavery that our sin holds us in. In Ephesians 2, 12, we're saved from the punishment of our sin that alienates us from God. In Ephesians 2, 3, we're saved from the wrath of God. In Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, we're saved from everlasting death and eternity separated from him. That's just a short list of the things that we've been saved from. There's many others. Um, as you look at the difference between our, our old self and our new self and the lists that we see in the New Testament. But scripture paints a pretty clear picture of what that looks like. And it also paints a pretty clear picture that from the moment we were born, when we entered this world, we were sinners. We were sinful. That means that our natural inclination, our natural bend, is to sin. And sin is anything that goes against the character and standards of God. So our natural ways, the, the way that we behave, the way that we think, it's all been tainted by the curse of sin. And from the moment we are born, now we, are, we can't do anything in and of ourselves to, to reach the standard or to, um, to even come close to the character of God. And so we are born sinners. And the most famous of these passages is Romans 3.23. That's the one that probably comes to mind when you talk about everyone having uh, sin. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means, with this list up here, that we all are found guilty in our sin, we are polluted by our sin, we are enslaved by our sin, we're facing a punishment of complete alienation from God, we're facing a punishment of the wrath of God, and we're facing an everlasting death forever separated from him. This is our state, this is where we are before Christ. That's not a good place to be. No, not a good place to be. But Paul says that God, through his power, offers us salvation from this to everyone who believes. Believes in what? Well, the gospel, the good news, and what is the good news? Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm not going to tell it in a way that I think we typically tell it. Um, we, we share the gospel and talk about the gospel a lot from this stage, and hopefully you guys are in the habit of, of talking through that with, uh, with your friends, family, coworkers. Um, but maybe it's not how you typically talk about the gospel, but I want to explain it in light of what Paul says in these two verses talking about unrighteousness and righteousness and salvation. So Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 2.8 says, To those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, God will render wrath and indignation. Romans 2.5 says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. I don't know if you noticed the correlation in those passages, but we are unrighteous. God is righteous. God hates unrighteousness. Um, we are unrighteous. And one day he will pour out his wrath on the unrighteous. So, 
unrighteous, righteous, wrath of God. How does that all play into the gospel and what Paul is speaking about? John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So we know that the love of God is what led him to send Jesus to the cross to be sacrificed on our behalf. But God's love in and of itself is not enough to take care of that problem of unrighteousness and righteousness and his wrath. Because the love of God has to deal with that in some way. He can't just love us and say, you know what, love is enough. And so there you go. And now you're all good because I love you. I mean, he loves us. So if he loves us unconditionally already, in while we were still sinners, right, he loved us enough to send Christ. So, so he loves us already, which means if it's just based on his love, then we're all going to be saved no matter what. It's not just based on his love. That's not enough in and of itself. So it has to deal with man's unrighteousness, and it has to deal with the wrath of God. So the love of God takes our unrighteousness, takes his righteousness, and he deals with that in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So I want to make it a little more simple, okay? Here's what John Piper says in one of his commentaries. He says, God demands righteousness and we don't have it. So the only hope for us is that God himself would give the righteousness that he demands. God would intervene and supply us with a righteousness that is not our own. If God would do that, then his wrath would be averted and we would be reconciled to him. That would be good news. That would be gospel and that is what he does. Now, we have some kids in here. So kids, I want to speak to you because this should be able to be understood even at the level of children. Here's what it could sound like to make it even a little more simple, okay? We all do bad things. And we all are, we all are, we all are bad in the sense that the bad we do comes from a deeply rooted badness. Our bad deeds come from a bad heart. But God says that we should be good or he cannot accept us because his own goodness would be ruined by our badness. So what we need is for God to take our badness and punish it in the death of Jesus and take the goodness of Jesus, his own goodness, and make it ours. So what is the righteousness that I keep speaking of? Well, righteousness means that we are in right standing with God as forgiven and acquitted from our sin without any guilt in his presence. So when God views us now as righteous, it means that he doesn't see us as sinners anymore. He sees us as forgiven, as not guilty, as innocent because of what Jesus did. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That's Jesus. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are given right standing with God as forgiven and acquitted from our guilt. So again, these two verses, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. In other words, for everyone, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So to finish the the study of these two verses, I want to take a closer look at that last part there, where it says, as it is written, because as it is written would infer that it's written somewhere that Paul is alluding to, right? So where is he talking about? It's really cool when you look at, as it is written, where it was written, what this person was going through, and what the believers were going through in Rome. So after this, we'll get into the the words to live by kind of part, but you may have been already kind of picking up on that 
um, talking about the unashamedness. So as it is written, here's what Paul's referring to. He's referring to uh, Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.4. Here's what Habakkuk 2.4 says. It says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So what's going on in Habakkuk's time? What's going on when Habakkuk um, wrote this? Habakkuk was at his wit's end with God. There was so much going on, so much wickedness that was rampant in Israel, and it seemed as if God did not care. It seemed as if God was not present, that he maybe even was oblivious to what was going on. And so Habakkuk kind of goes on this little rant to God. Basically, where are you? Like, do you even care with what's going on? God promises that there's going to be another nation that comes and punishes Israel. And Habakkuk's like, really? You're going to send another nation to to enslave us and to hold us captive and to rule over us? And so he's he's kind of, he's crying out to God, but he's complaining. And he's kind of, in a way, like holding this against God. He's a little bit maybe um, ashamed and reluctant to talk about God because does it seem like God is even present? Does God even care? Why would I go and preach about a God that doesn't seem to care about the affairs of Israel? But God answers Habakkuk, and here's kind of paraphrasing God's response. He says, I'm about to reveal something to you, Habakkuk, that I want you to record so that a herald may go and proclaim it. It's a revelation of my righteousness, and it will put to rest your fears of inaction and injustice. In the meantime, until my righteousness is revealed, you who are righteous need to trust me and to live by faith. There's nothing you can do to fix the situation that's going on. You just have to live by faith and trust. Not by sight in this moment. My timing is perfect, but trust that my righteousness will be revealed. So you think that the believers in Rome could have maybe had some of those same feelings towards God when they were suffering, when they were being persecuted, when they were being kicked out of their homes? Could they have been embarrassed, ashamed to claim the name of Christ? I think maybe that temptation was there. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, don't be ashamed Don't be reluctant to talk about Jesus. I know these last few years have been really, really difficult for you. I know they have. They've been difficult for me as well, especially for those who have claimed the name of Jesus. But remember what he did for you. Rest in that power that you know is what brought you into relationship with him. When God calls you righteous, it's the power of God that calls you righteous because of Jesus. It's our faith that allows us to be in right standing with him. The power of God is so much greater than the power of men. So don't fear men. Don't fear what they may say. Don't fear what they may do to you. Just preach the gospel because that's what you're called to do. Keep fighting. Trust him. Follow him and spread the good news. So I want to talk about um, us today, 2019. Here's the big question. I don't have any main points this morning, which I think is okay. You don't always have to be, you know, Here's my three or four points. Um, It's good to have them to kind of narrow down what we want you to remember. Um, But here's the big question that I just want us to be faced with. And maybe you've already gathered what that is. Can you echo the words of Paul in your life, the way that you talk, the way that you interact, the way that you um, just live, maybe not even in interactions, the way that you represent yourself on social media, whatever it is. Can you echo the words of Paul when he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. I'm not ashamed because I know in it lies the power of God to save me from my unrighteousness and into his righteousness because of Jesus. Are you eager to preach that message to people? Is it like eating at you and you can't wait for the moment when God allows you to do that? Are you looking for those opportunities? Because here's what I would say. 
if we aren't looking for them, or if we don't take advantage of them when they come, in a way, we're a little bit ashamed of the gospel. We're a little bit not buying into what we're called to do and the power of the gospel when we pass up those opportunities. Now, I know that fear sets in and we have things that hold us back, but when you look at what Christ has done and what we've been saved from, and here's what we're saved to, by the way, uh, in a positive way, Paul talks about salvation. So in Romans 3, he talks about we're brought to a state of righteousness. In Romans 6, a state of holiness. Galatians 5, my favorite state of being is, is freedom. I love thinking about freedom and how I was just so enslaved in my sin and, and I, was, I was really just bound in that and there was no hope but yet the Holy Spirit through Christ um, on the cross has just ripped those chains apart and there's freedom. I love that and, and considering that in my life and so the state of freedom we're brought into. We're blessed in that we have fellowship with God in Ephesians 2. We're blessed in that the love of God covers our hearts and covers our lives in Romans 5. We're blessed in everlasting life, eternity with God in the presence of God, bringing God glory forever and ever and ever and ever in perfection, Ephesians 2 and other passages. And so we have this salvation from, but salvation to, and if you, it's just words when you say it, but if you really think about the connotation of like, not even connotation, the, the power that lies in that, then it should cause us to want nothing else but to tell people about it. It should cause us to live in such a way that, that we have no other choice but to share the gospel. Maybe not always verbally, but in the way that we live and interact with people. So when we think about where we were, we think about where we are, it should cause us to fall to our knees, understanding there's nothing we can do, but it's only what God has done. So the power of God for righteousness by faith. So the question again is, are we eager to tell people about this? Are we just like, is it, are we aching to do it? Does it break our hearts that people don't know Jesus as their savior and are destined to remain in that state if they don't hear about him and accept his gift? Does that really hit you? That potentially people that you know, your friends, your coworkers, family, um, may just continue on and never be saved from, from the, the slavery of sin, from that, um, the weight, the guilt, but then ultimately in eternity, the separation from God, the alienation from God, the wrath of God. Like this is, where, this is where we stay if we don't ever understand what Christ did. And that's where our loved ones stay, our friends stay, our coworkers stay. And who is it up to to share it with them? We don't have the power to save them, but why have we been left on this earth? One, to bring God glory, but what's number two? To share the gospel. But are we too ashamed? Are we too scared? Like, I don't, I don't know what they're going to say about me. I don't, I don't know if they're going to have a stronger argument than me. I don't know if they're going to make fun of me. I don't know if, you know, if they're going to, um, in other countries, if they're going to hurt me, if they're going to kill me. I don't know if that's going to happen, so I'm going to hold back and I'm not going to share. This, like, gets me so fired up and emotional because it's like, like without, why else would God leave us on this earth? I mean, if we're not going to do it, then just take us home. Take me off this earth because I'm not doing anything to further your gospel and your kingdom. That's what I think, and that's my soapbox for the morning. I'm not ashamed. I'll do everything in my power to preach the gospel through my words, through the way that I live, the way that I treat people. Luke 9.26 has a very humbling verse, and it comes from the mouth of Jesus. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. So, you are ashamed. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. 
So if you live in such a way that shows that you're a little bit embarrassed, maybe, by what you believe, um, it says then Jesus is going to be a little ashamed of you as well. There's another passage that I wanted to break down, but it, I, it's one of my favorite passages in a way, but also one of the most challenging to me, and that's the, um, the passage, the judgment, the sheep and the goats. You guys know that, where it talks about, um, you know, on the left are the goats, on the right are the sheep, I think. I had that right. But the, the goats are those that don't follow Christ and think that they do. Um, but Jesus says, look, you never, um, I was hungry and you never fed me. I was thirsty, you never gave me a drink. I was, I was naked, you never clothed me. I was, I was in prison, you never came and visited me. And they're going, wait a second. I never saw you hungry. I never saw you thirsty. I didn't know that you were naked. I didn't know that you were in prison and needed me. I, I didn't know that. And he's going, yeah, but you didn't do it to the least of these, so therefore you didn't really understand my gospel. But then those, he says, that are the sheep, his followers, that really, really, truly understood it, um, they're doing it without even, it, it's just flowing out of them. It's, it's you, you, gave me a, you gave me food when I was hungry. You gave me a drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You, um, you visited me when in prison. And, and the, they go in, when did I do that? And he goes, you just did it. To the least of those my brothers, when you did it to them, you were doing it to me. And it's, it's this humility of like, that's just kind of what flowed out of me as I was trying to live out the gospel because I'm called to, to help those in need. It's, it's not something that I had to really think twice about. I just want to help those in need because they're in need. And I have something to offer them. Right? Maybe it's spiritually in need, and I want to offer them the gospel. Maybe it's physically in need, and I have something to give them. Maybe it's they're hungry, and really, you know what? They are hungry, and they can't do right now to get food to feed their family, so I'm going to come alongside and help. But it just is a natural thing as believers that we do because we buy so much into the gospel and what we're called to do. So one day when we're face-to-face, he's going, look, you didn't even realize you were doing it, but that's just the way you live because you bought into my gospel. There's a really great song, and, and I love it. I love it, one, because my dad kind of showed me about Keith Green, but he's got this song that he literally just goes through that passage, but the way that he says it is so cool because he just uses like kind of modern, well, in the 70s, I guess it would have been, or 80s, modern then. Um, But he just, he kind of says it in such a way that's like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And he really bought into that, um, did Keith Green. But but are we we living in such a way that it just kind of flows out of us? Because um, if we're not thinking about that, uh, then that means you really understand it. So I want, I want to pose a few questions, and then we'll wrap up. But a few questions that I have that are more practical, okay? And uh, maybe these aren't like, maybe they'll be challenging to some. Um, maybe you're going, you know what, I'm, these aren't, here, let me just say this. If I, if I ask you these questions and you go, yeah, I don't relate to any of those, it doesn't mean that you still may not be ashamed of the gospel, okay? These are just like seven things that I thought of for questions to ask. You'll see what I'm saying. So number one. Am I ashamed to pray with a fellow Christian in public? Is there a, do I hesitate when I have the opportunity to pray with a Christian? Am I worried about what will people think? What will they say? So I kind of shy away from that. Am I ashamed to speak out on issues that matter to Jesus? I'm not talking about in an annoying way. I'm not talking about on the wrong platforms. I'm talking about am I ashamed when I have opportunity to speak truth on the issues that matter to Jesus? Do I shy away for fear of I don't know what? Am I ashamed to mention Jesus in a post on social media? I think this speaks a little more true to you down front. Am I ashamed to say anything about my faith? Am I ashamed to mention the name of Jesus when I'm with people who aren't Christians? Am I ashamed to thank God for my meal when people who aren't Christians are present? Am I ashamed to communicate my disapproval when a colleague or a friend blasphemes the name of Jesus? And here is my planned soapbox, and it's very, very short, okay? And please hear me, and I hope I get some amens from parents, and I'm looking at It's not just kids, by the way, okay? But can we please stop saying, oh my God, 
And can we please stop saying OMG? Can we please stop doing that? Like, why are we, yes, clap, please. Like, why has it become so culturally okay that all of a sudden, like, I hear so many people, and if, I'm, if this is you, then, again, sorry, not sorry, but we need, to, we need to not be using his name that way. I mean, there's so many other things, you know, and, and you could say, well, if you say, oh, my gosh, it's the same thing, because why not just say, oh, my God? Well, then don't say, oh, my gosh, okay? Just think of something, say, think of, like, a random food and just say it. Just be like, pancakes or something. Like, I don't know. Um, but just stop saying that, please. Every time I hear that, it just makes me cringe because that's not how I want my creator and savior, his name to be used. Right? Oh, my God. That was so cool. Really? Like, that's how you want to express how cool that was? Just stop. So there's so many ways that we can shy away from sharing the gospel. So many ways we can shy away from showing how much we love Jesus, shying away from living in such a way um, that's countercultural. That's why it's so hard often. But wa- I want to end with a quote from another pastor, and I think this is just a great way to end it and kind of package it up. Um, so here's what he says. When believers know and love and live on the meat of the gospel, we will be so gospel-filled and gospel-shaped and gospel-dependent and gospel-driven and gospel-hoping and gospel-joyful that no one will need to tell us why we need to share the gospel or how to share the gospel. We will be so thankful and so desperately, day-by-day, dependent on the gospel for our own hope of eternal life, our own sanity, our own stability, our own marriages or singleness, that it will be impossible not to know that people need the gospel and why they need it and how it relates to their biggest needs. Why? Because we know we need it and why we need it and how it meets our biggest needs day by day. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. God, thanks for this morning and uh, thank you for your word and for um, passages that we can look to and, and be challenged by. Um, God, I don't, I don't want to be ashamed. I know often in my life um, I pass up opportunities. Um, and after studying this passage, it just breaks my heart. The people that I have passed by that I could have shared your love with Um, people I could have treated maybe a little bit differently. But God, let us not leave this room with it in our minds that we have anything to fear. Let us not have any doubts that when you say that we are meant to be here, one, to glorify you, but to spread your gospel, that you want us to do that, and so you'll use us to do that. And, And remind us, God, that yes, we may face persecution, we may face those things, but you said that it's not us, it's not a personal attack on us. It's, it's an attack on, on Christ and his gospel, and that should, that should humble us, that should, that should hurt us, and, and that, that should break our hearts, but it's nothing personal, and so we should have confidence in your spirit that, uh, that when we're sharing, it's going to be of you, and uh, not our words, and not our wisdom, and not our power, and um, God, just give, us, just give us the hearts to share, give us the hearts to love. Um, we want to see those that we know come to faith in you if they don't know you already, and so God, just cause us to live in such a way that would show that we, we just so desperately love you, that we're not ashamed, we're not hesitant, we don't, we're not embarrassed, we're not, uh, we're not fearful of humiliation, but God, just use us in a tremendous way. 
We love you so much. And uh, as we sing these next few songs that speak true to this message, God, I pray that we would just worship um, unhindered and unashamed because it doesn't matter what anybody else around us uh, might think of us. Our worship is a sweet sound to your ears if our hearts are pure. And so, God, I pray that we would just worship unhindered again this morning. We love you so much. Thanks for your son. Thank you for your spirit. In your son's name, amen.